Hello, good people. This is Sister Julia Walsh, and you're listening to Messy Jesus Business. Welcome to The Mess. I'm here with Father Carl Gales, SVD. Father Carl was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, where he began his musical studies. He went on to earn his bachelor's degree in piano performance from Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. It was there that he converted to Catholicism. After working as a director of liturgy and music for several parishes, Father Carl began to discern the priesthood. In 2014, he entered seminary formation with the Society of the Divine Word. After missionary work in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Father Carl professed final vows and was ordained to the priesthood in May 2022. He is currently the pastoral administrator of Our Lady of Africa Parish in Chicago, Illinois. Father Carl, welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you. It's been a dream of mine since ever since I heard about your podcast. And I was like, when am I going to get on your show? And you're like, we'll see. We'll see. So the time has finally come. That's right. Here we God are. Is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand you're a fairly newly ordained priest. What, was it 2022? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I was happy as an associate pastor. And then in April, I got the fast track (laughs) (laughs) to becoming a pastoral administrator, much to my surprise in April of this year. And so it's just been a whirlwind of activities and kind of trial by fire, getting to um, hear people's concerns in a different way. People love you as an associate pastor because the buck doesn't stop with you. Uh, So you get to to know people in a different way. When you become pastor or a pastoral administrator, things change (laughs) and relationship dynamics change as well. And so I've been blessed to go through a transitional diaconate here at Our Lady of Africa, then becoming the associate pastor after ordination, and then taking on the role of pastoral administrator. In each distinct role, it's been a blessing because it's revealed to me layer after layer of how to serve God's people as a priest. But there are so many things. I was telling a friend yesterday, There's, I would say 90% of what I'm doing now, I did not learn in seminary formation. Huh. And so that is the surprise of it all, mm. that as much as uh, CTU and other formation uh, institutions help, and they do help a great deal, yeah. uh, CTU was, has been wonderful pastorally. Catholic Theological Union for the listeners, yes. in case Thank in you. case they're like, what is he saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catholic yeah. Theological Union, wonderful institution right. of formation, especially for pastoral and biblical studies. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And yet, the majority of the things that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day basis, you couldn't cover them Mm -hmm. in the normal curriculum because there's just so much else that you have to know. Hmm. There's a lot here that I would love to unpack and get into a little more deeply. But before we talk about that in your current context in ministry, let's go back even farther. How did you 
come to know that you were called to be a priest and to be a member of the Society of the Divine Word. So it's crazy. Like, I became Catholic when I was at Indiana University. Okay, yeah. And so that was Can I just say that's unusual, right? Because people yeah, don't, people leave the church in college, you joined it. That's what happened. I actually left the church that I belonged to, Yeah, the Church of God in Christ. Mm. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and was very involved musically and also probably had the stirrings of a vocation to lead. I was preaching and doing things like that. I got to college and I had like this kind of crisis moment of, well, what do I really believe? And so it set me on a journey exploring different religions, in, in fact. And then I came across a friend of mine who was my teacher, and I asked him what church he attended. And he said, well, I attend the Catholic church down the street. And so I said, oh, well, I'll come with you. I'll, I'll, I'll join you one Sunday. Mm. He's like, wait a minute. There are some things you have to know about the Catholic faith. <laughs> and I said, really? Tell me more. <laughs> and so he gave me a book. and What was the book? It was Romano Guardini. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I know. Real deep stuff. And so <laughs> he was like, we believe in the real presence. And I was like, the real presence. Ooh, yeah, what yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> and so as he explained it, and I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Mm. So I went to Mass for the first time in 1999 during that summer. And I was immediately hooked. I experienced a deep and profound peace as I was sitting, preparing for Mass. And then another thing that I discovered was that people were saying things at the same time and in chorus and kind of worshiping together in a different way than I had experienced before. Mm. And so from that initial encounter, I just kept coming to, to Mass each Sunday to the point where my friend was like, well, what is going on? Is this serious? I was like, yeah, I think so. And so he was like, well, there's RCIA. And that's basically how it took off. So April the 22nd, for those who don't know, my email address is galece0422. That <laughs> was the date. going to write you now. Are you ready for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was the date of my baptism, oh. the 22nd of April. Interestingly enough, I felt the stirrings towards the priesthood rather early to the point where that summer I called the diocese, Archdiocese of Indiana, Indianapolis, and I called the vocation director and I said, I'm ready. Where do I sign up? I, I want to take classes. <laughs> he was like, uh, classes? Okay, what? who are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm Carl Gales and yeah, I'm ready to become a priest. He was like, oh, have you talked to your pastor about this? I said, no, I just thought I'd call you, you know, just sign me up. I'll take some classes and, yeah. you know, that's that. He's right. Like, well, there's a, there's a process. And he says, how long have you been, been Catholic? And I said, oh, about three months. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. But aside from that, you know, funny story that I like to tell, I entered seminary in 2014. Mm. So if you can imagine, it took 14 years for me to really say yes 
I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a vocation minister now and I walk with women who are going through the process and are at all stages. And some of your yeah. story is kind of parallel to some of the women who reach out to me. It's There's a, a initial fervor, you know, in those mm-hmm. early days. And when a person converts, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. But you said there were some stirrings to priesthood, which is, is mm-hmm. an interesting phrase. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone use that language to talk about their vocational discernment. What was that like? How did you know that it was of God and not like your ego or, you know, something like this. How did you sort through that it was of the spirit? Well, here's the thing. I, it wasn't just in my head. I would actually talk with some of my friends about, Mm. I was thinking about becoming a priest and, you know, and hearing their takes on it and laughing about it in a way. Mm. Just like, oh, that would be, I could see you as a priest, but you know, really? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. It became a lot more serious after I entered into ministry in the Catholic Church. And then I was thinking that I was giving myself to God in the talents that He had given me through doing music mm-hmm. and doing music ministry. As the years progressed, it was becoming more clear to me that this isn't all there is. Mm-hmm. And so I went through an intense period starting at around 2010, 2011, grappling with what is it exactly that's bothering me or, you know, this kind of like gnawing at my soul. I went through an intense period of like fasting and prayer Mm. and having a lot of time before the Blessed Sacrament. And one of those days I was praying and I asked God the question. I said, God, do you want me to become a priest? And immediately all of the emotional knots and inner turmoil that I had went away. And it was almost reminiscent of the first time when I stepped into the the Catholic Church. And so that freaked me out because I was like, if that's the answer, oh no. <laughs> so, right, right. I, and again, I went and I talked to one of my best friends who was the DRE uh, at the time at the church that I was working at. And I told her, I think God wants me to become a priest. And she, in her motherly way, was so encouraging mm. and very compassionate. She was instrumental in journeying with me through my formation. Mm. Uh, so I always have a, a, a special shout out for my, my mama, Gloria, Gloria George Patrick. Uh-huh. And God puts people in each of our paths to encourage us and support us through major decisions Absolutely. and transitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about those 14 years in between you becoming Catholic and then actually entering the seminary. So you were working as a parish minister. I finished my degree at Indiana University. Then I went over to Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. During that time, I had an opportunity to do some studying abroad. Uh And so I went over to France. I was there in uh, Paris, France for two years. And I got to concertize, uh, take music classes, master classes, 
with a lot of great artists. And at that point, I was really hoping that that was going to be the avenue for my concert piano career. As much promise as I thought that was going to happen, and I did see some some progress or possibilities, things really didn't pan out. And so I had to kind of come back and regroup and figure out, well, if this is not what God is wanting me to do, then what do I need to be doing? Mm. I will be very honest and say that I went through an intense period of a mild depression mm. because from, I would say from the 12 until 26, 27, that was my dream. Mm. My dream was to become a concert pianist. And so I had to to kind of come to terms with, okay, I wanted it, but how badly did I want it? Or was it something that I felt like God was really bringing me to? Because at the end of the day, when I went on this process of formation uh, to the priesthood, this was a lot harder, honestly. Mm. This was a lot harder to bring about. There were so many obstacles mm. and there were so many things that could have derailed this whole process of discernment. Two years in Africa, very difficult, not easy. Yeah. You were, you were in the... I was in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. I mean, there were so many things that are so much harder. Now, being a pastor or a pastoral administrator, this is really difficult. (laughs) And here's the thing. I was talking to a friend yesterday, again, uh, my conversation. I was like, it's so much easier just practicing six, seven hours a day. And that's your only concern. But I wouldn't have it any other way. And I don't think that God would either, because it seems that God is writing the story. I gave my life to God and I said, okay, I give up. I don't know what you want me to do, but make the path for me. And God made the path for me. And it's been a full of adventure, full of unexpected twists and turns, but it's been a beautiful, picturesque kaleidoscope of God's abundance and grace. I do feel that I'm not equipped to handle everything, but God gives me the strength and gives me the grace. And then I learn and then I become better and I grow. So here we are on Messy Jesus Business. On this podcast, we love to ponder the struggle, the tension, the reality of how hard it is to live the gospel, which is what you're touching on. But I'd love for you to break it open a little bit. You're saying seminary didn't really prepare you for all the things that you're asked to do in a day now. What are some of the actual tensions, spiritually, personally, relationally, that you're having to deal with as a minister and as a disciple of Jesus Christ? I do think that the main brunt of the issues that you have are managing expectations, Mm. not only of yourself, but others. Also managing your temperament, who you are as a person. Because when you're stressed out, when you're dealing with 15 different things that need your attention yesterday, it brings out all of your strengths and also all of your weaknesses. 
you really have to be on your game and aware of yourself and how you process emotions, how you process other people's emotions Mm. as well. As Aristotle would say, life is politics. (laughs) It really is. It's all about negotiation. And for me, I'm a person and the parishioners here, they already know that and they tell me that I need to slow down, that I'm a person that likes to solve things immediately. I've come to mass at your at your church and I've witnessed you in action during the liturgy and like you're a charismatic presider, you know, you're like well, loving you. and caring for everyone who's there and I could see how that fire might um and that enthusiasm might prevent you from being patient. <laughs> 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 you think? <laughs> I mean, it takes one to know one, my friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that has been an interesting thing of me figuring out that not everything is going to be solved uh-huh. today. Yeah. Or this week or in a month. So that's the blessing of having a parish council, mm-hmm. having consultative bodies. Mm. So you don't have to feel like all of the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And you can trust that they know what they're doing too. They believe in the mission. They believe in the vision and that they'll be there. Mm. You know, So I think that's the blessing of community, uh, relying on people and relying on God to know that where you end, God begins. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. God is there throughout. Mm-hmm. But where you feel like you've reached your limit, you can trust that God is there to pick up the slack. And also the people in your community mm-hmm. are there to hold you when necessary mm-hmm. and through the journey as well. That's yeah. been a blessing and a realization. As my friend Mama Gloria would say, I have to realize that I am not the Messiah and I'm not supposed to be. And <laughs> and so we rely on God's grace and we rely on the Holy Spirit. I was in a workshop and the presenter was saying a pastor was presented with all of these problems at the parish and he didn't have the answers. And he said, I found the solution to all of that. I could just say, I'm really interested to see how the Holy Spirit is going to work that out. Mm, yeah. And it's true. Yeah. You know, I don't know how God is going to work, but I'm excited uh-huh. to see what God is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this real trust and faith in God and in the goodness of the people in the community. And I think I'm hearing you describe that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you talking about like sort of a surrender of your own will and your own sort of expectations about how something will go or be and allowing things to unfold at a pace that's different than than maybe what you hope for personally? Well, I do think it's really important to have a goal. Ah, so you still uh, have a vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to have a vision. You know, like Habakkuk, write the vision, right? Make it plain. Yeah. But even if it delays, even if you don't see its progress, wait for it. Mm. But you also expect that the vision will be accomplished. And you may not know how exactly that vision will come to fruition, 
But you know that God has planted the seeds Mm. and that all you have to do is do the work that you are called to do and trust that God will make the growth. I would like to jump back a little bit to thinking about just this past Sunday at Mass and listening to you preach. Aware of your background and music and your talents and skills, noticing that the way you are with people, the way you preside, the way you preach, has a rhythm to it. And you have a way of combining Mm. silence with truth. There's repetition. It kind of felt like I was listening to a drum. And Mm -hmm. it puts the listener into a, a different sort of space than someone just up there reading a speech and you're uh-huh. listening to it. I'm interested in how your experience as a concert pianist has influenced your current ministry and how that part of your journey has been integrated into into who you are today. I think fundamentally I'm a musical person. Ta-da! Yes. <laughs> uh, and that I've been extremely influenced by singing And the flow of phrase, the flow of a musical structure, phrasing, Mm -hmm. um, a rise and fall of speech, intonation, all of those things you have to dissect and look at carefully when you study music. Um, I was fortunate enough to also um, coach singers um, or be available for their lessons. And there is such an amount of preparation that goes into singing just one aria uh, that most people would never guess. Um, And, you know, I mean, the same thing with preparing a a piece on the piano. I mean, this is hours and hours of intense focus. And so when you're thinking of homiletics and preparation, for me, Uh, I think that it's really important to work in cycles, to find the rhythm, uh, because that's how people enter in. I think all of us are innately um, wanting rhythm in our lives. I mean, uh, the heartbeat, everything about us is rhythmic. Mm. Um, The world is rhythmic. The cycles of the world are rhythmic. Um, You may not feel them, uh, but they're there no matter what. And so even our patterns of uh, speech have a rhythm to them. uh, And based on your word choice, you can kind of affect the breathing of people. I don't do this consciously all all the time, but sometimes in, you know, preparing, you know, it does fall into this rhythm and you feel like you're in a jam session uh, with myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm, 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 I'm thinking about the words, and I'm like, "Ooh, this flows. Ooh, this is good. Ooh, mm-hmm. thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Work it, Lord. Work it." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also always conscious of how can people u- use or um, see the gospel reflected in their lives. So it's so important to kind of figure out well, how is this going to matter when they leave the Mass? Because it's one thing to say, let's have a Bible study 
And let's dissect and let's go into the hermeneutics and the exegesis of this scripture. And while that is great, how are you going to take that and apply it to your life? Mm-hmm. I think that is so much more important. And so I don't necessarily like to do biblical study mm-hmm. during a homily. My question would be, how does this relate to uh, what this person is going through right now? I have a parishioner whose uh, whole basement has been flooded. Mm. Talking about uh, just the love of Jesus and then breaking down the scripture, although that is very needed and necessary and beneficial, how is that word going to apply to her situation right now? of how to persevere uh, during really trying circumstances, how to love people who are very difficult, and how do you continue on loving people when you know that they're going to mistreat you or abuse you? Those are the questions that the homily or your reflections should point towards, because this is what's really happening on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, I think what you're saying here is applicable to every Christian because each of us, through whatever our vocation is, however we serve Mm -hmm. and love God and God's people, uh, we all are making offerings. And what I'm hearing you name is sort of this, the thoughtfulness of it, the art of it, being careful about how you integrate and how you think about the audience and what their needs are, who you're serving and mm-hmm. not making it about you, right, and your own agenda, but what is Mm-mm. what are their needs? But yet you're integrating your own passions, your own gifts, your own awarenesses. And in that creative act, there is a communion that I'm hearing you describe that happens between you and God, where you Absolutely. become an instrument yourself that God sings through. Mm. Yeah. I mean, especially during preparation, uh, uh there are so many things or thoughts that, you know, can arise, you know, when you're reading scripture, but you have to really be careful to listen to what is that thing that's really um, hitting uh, the deepest part of your soul. Like, what is it that's hitting that need or that hunger that we're all needing? Yeah. I've gone to so many masses and you wish that the homily or the person, you know, preaching would be, you know, really connecting with the soul. Mm. And so I've experienced it. I know what it's like. And most (laughs) parishioners who go to mass, they know what it's like to hear words or hear preaching that just goes above their heads or is too mundane. They're joking all the time, just telling story after story. You know, uh, no, we need stuff. We need a word that speaks to the heart. And so that's my aim. All of these thoughts that come through, I have to discern. I'm like, is this really the heart of the matter Mm. for what's needed now? I also want to make sure that it's not just the the homily mm. that I'm praying the Eucharistic prayer or I'm you know yeah. really present during the other parts of the mass and not just you know putting all the eggs in the homily and then do a slap shot through the liturgy. Yeah. I don't think that's that that's good 
presiding either. I, I agree with so, you. <laughs> Yeah. I've been going to mass a long time too. And I want, I want the whole thing to be good. Exactly. <laughs> the whole thing should give God some glory, you know? Amen. Amen. So what uh, you want, I want as well. You know what you I mean? Know, exactly. We're yeah. in this church together. Another thing is last Sunday when I was hearing you preach, you were also incorporating uh, a mention of your heritage into the mm-hmm. homily and you're, you're working at Our Lady of Africa you're one of the few African-American priests in the United States, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the yeah. numbers are exactly, but... It's very low. That's another type of integration that I notice you doing in your ministry is bringing the richness of your heritage into the liturgy, into the ministry with the folks in the jail and everywhere that you are, bringing God's light and love Sister Thea Bowman is a sister from my own congregation, Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, and she did a lot to help integrate Black Catholics more wholeheartedly into the church. Yet, it seems like the church has a long ways to go (laughs) in order to de-center whiteness and to know and embrace wholeheartedly the beauty of African-American Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you have any like particular hopes about what things could be more uplifted as mm. the church grows and develops into a more inclusive church that decenters whiteness more and more. Uh, that is a great question. And what I would say is that the richness of blackness of just being has to be acknowledged and affirmed and cherished and nourished and sustained by us all. When we think of black Catholics, for some people, they would say that it's an add-on. And I think that is a really bad way to look at this. The spirituality of black folk runs deep and it is beyond and transcends just Catholicism, that there is a richness in blackness that has been a part of the Christian Catholic experience since its beginnings. Mm -hmm. You have the spirituality of black folk throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament And it speaks of something that's deep and profound, and that it is not something that has been acquired recently in the last 60 years. Yeah, right. (laughs) This is not a modern (laughs) phenomenon. (laughs) Um, The very beginnings of of Christianity began in in Ethiopia, in in Egypt, in the Middle East. So don't tell us that we are add-ons when the roots run deep. And the wells have never run dry. Mm. And what we are expressing now and what people are finally catching on to is that there is a depth and richness that whiteness can profit from and that they are profiting from. And you can see that in every area where Blacks are thriving Mm. in the entertainment industry, in sports, and in other areas of life when appreciation follows 
support. And support sustains and nourishes the future. When those are missing, then we have the state that we have today, where uh, the African-American apostolate has been choked because of a deference to going back to a more Eurocentric idea of church. What I loved about Vatican II is that it expressed the fact that there are so many treasures Mm. from the different nations and ethnicities and races that actually produce the abundance that is Catholic. And that is the richness of our faith, that we have this richness and of diversity mm-hmm. that needs to be cherished, sustained, and brought forth. And I hope that we as Black Catholics can also not have this idea of we have to be better, or we have to do this, or we have to... No, we just have to be. Yeah. We have to be ourselves. That's all we have to do. Mm. We have to just be ourselves and shine as we are. But that is the beauty of the dignity of being human, that we don't have to overreach because the abundance is within. Mm. And if we can all do that, then we can all shine and we can all be on fire. So there's a sacredness in the authenticity, the way we show up and give fully of who we truly are is ultimately dignifying for ourselves and for all of humanity. Amen. You started off our conversation by talking about the complexities of being the pastoral administrator and how seminary didn't really prepare you and how complex it is to be a leader of a parish. I'm wondering if you might speak about that a bit more and share what is it like and how is it stretching you and the people that are in the community to grow closer to Christ? Well, I think... Mainly, the issues have been the unification of five parishes into one Mm. and the realization that as much as we would like things to progress quickly, there are so many things that have not been, you know, acknowledged as far as pain, as far as identity, and also looking forward to a future that have not been kind of like sorted out. In all honesty, we're still new two to three years into the process is still quite young. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, there is a great will to move forward and a great will to engage and not give up. And that is something that I love. As much as we've been knocked about and hurt, Mm -hmm. that people are still willing to forgive. People are still willing to not give up. And people are still willing to go forward with new hope and a new vision. And those are the things that are giving me life. And as difficult as sometimes things may appear, the other aspects of administration that are a lot more worrisome. A lot of people are like, oh, don't burn yourself out. Uh, I know the, you have 
the many masses and things. I was like, the mass is my least <laughs> of my worries. That's the joy of my life. That's yeah. that's that's sustaining me. You know, <laughs> prayer, my prayer life is sustaining. I would me. imagine it's, things like finance meetings and stuff that drive you that drain you. Huh? Well, actually. Now that we do have a finance council and a parish council, those are reliefs too. Oh, those are God. helping me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the stress was feeling that I was alone oh. and that I had to figure this out on my own mm. and to realize that there are so many people mm. who just need to be asked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can rely on people to help you maneuver these choppy waters. Mm. I think that's the blessing and the grace of being the administrator at this parish and discovering all of that. Mm. What else would you like to say as we wrap up our conversation about how you navigate the messiness of gospel living, of offering your full self in ministry to others and being a leader in the church? Speaking personally, this is what's getting me through. Pray all the time. I dig into the Psalms a lot. I dig into my rosary daily. I go to confession a lot. Yeah. Those are the things that I need to do in order for me to stay prayed up. It's very simple. Sometimes the best things are the simplest things. Mm-hmm. Pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> know who you can go to and also know who's praying for you. Yeah. Uh, that is the most important thing. I mean, life and community, that's a blessing too. But I also have a whole slew of people at this parish, my prayer warriors in Atlanta, Georgia, all over the world. The beginning of this year, I had one of the worst scares of my life. My mm. sister had a health scare mm. and the prayer warriors went to action. And when I tell you that it's been a miracle after another with my sister. And just to know that you have the people praying for you Mm -hmm. and that you have that resource, I think that is such a blessing. So I think that's the beauty of being in community. Uh, That's the beauty of being in a church, church Mm -hmm. family. I think that's the saddest thing about our world today is that people feel the less and less inclined to worship with others Mm. in a public space. And I know, you know, COVID has its own dangers and COVID is still real, but worshiping together Mm -hmm. has so many benefits. In the sacraments, people don't avail themselves of the sacraments. And it's just the simplest things that can make life so much better that we don't afford and we don't use and we don't bring them to bear in our lives as that that old song you know oh what a friend we have in jesus Mm -hmm. all our sins and griefs to bear and how many people carry their own burdens Mm -hmm. and don't want to rely on god's help so many (laughs) so so is the messiness there sort of this tension that we live in, in our culture, in our society of, you know, the U S of individualism and like really having this attitude of like, I can go it alone. I don't need other people, but the church is 
countercultural in its mission mm-hmm. and its vision in what the reign of God is, which is actually teaching us to have healthy interdependence. And to be community means we're going to be needing the other and they're going to be needing us. So we yes, can't go and they're messy alone. too. Yeah. And we're all messy. Yeah. <laughs> and acknowledging our all of our messiness and brokenness and that we're in it together. Yeah. I think that's so important. You know, people say, oh, church people are hypocrites. They're not true. Then they go somewhere else and then they find that there are hypocrites there too. <laughs> we're all broken. Because the yeah. point is that we're all human here. And God came to help those who are in most need. And we are all in most need, mm. especially if we acknowledge that we are sinners mm. and that we are in need of grace. We can acknowledge that together. Well, this has been so fun. Thanks for coming on Messy Jesus Business, Carl. Thank you, Sister Julia. (laughs) I loved it. Oh, Father Carl. I just (laughs) and is there anything you'd like the listeners to know about how they could continue to support you, follow you on social media? What sort of plugs would you like to make? Yeah, follow me on Instagram, Father Carl underscore gales underscore 2023 right. um, you can follow me on uh, facebook you can follow our lady of africa chicago mm-hmm. on facebook as well we're a wonderful parish vibrant community and we look forward to seeing you on sunday Woo! sister julia and, <laughs> and everybody who's listening all, all right. right nine o'clock and eleven thirty. all right over. all right thank you so much carl All right. God bless you. Take care. Messy Jesus Business is produced and edited by Colin Wamskans. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess... Thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.